Hey, I'm Jenny. And I'm Hillary, and you can call us... The Garden Tarts. You know, kissing lips and breaking hearts. We have been bestest friends for over 25 years, and we love to talk you too. We've had some super ridiculous adventures, and now this podcast, which is pretty much all opinion with a handful of facts thrown in. Why a YouTube podcast? Because as much as we love talking you two, we know you do too. So sit down, grab a drink, and find us on Instagram and Twitter so we can chat. Hi, everyone. Hey. We are recording uh, side A of the Joshua Tree today. Yes, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to all of our old listeners and new listeners and people from all around the world. Oh my gosh, we have so many new people. Should we say hi to some of them? Please. We need to say hi to Mexico City, Mexico. Hi, Mexico. Portugal. Hola. Hola. <laughs> Portugal. Um, New Zealand and Australia. It was great. We got Australia really recently. And then the other day I put on Twitter, I'm like, New Zealand, like, knock, knock. I think some stuff's going on. <laughs> And like 10 minutes later, I looked at the stats and New Zealand popped up. Which if you're listening to this out of out of context, the you yes. two are currently on tour, uh, touring uh, the Joshua Tree. Good, timely uh, recording for us. For this and just finished New Zealand. Yeah, and they're heading to Australia uh, yeah. in the next day or something like that. Yeah. Um, we got Tokyo, Japan, Belfast, Northern Ireland, Columbus, Ohio. Feeling proud about my Ohio people. Colorado Springs, Colorado. We've got people in Scotland and Colombia and Brazil. Oh my gosh. This it's is so nuts. amazing. It is yeah. nuts. We're so excited. And thank and you. I mean- thank you for listening because, you know, we, we kind of started this off just for us. And, uh, I know it's gotten just even more fun. More fun, but this is just for our own entertainment. We didn't really think that this many people, I didn't think this many people would listen. We just really wanted an excuse to talk more. Yeah, we did. (laughs) (laughs) About YouTube stuff. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Um, So on uh, on my U.S. wish list, I would like by our next podcast to have a listener from Maryland. Okay. Because we don't have that yet. And what is our, what country do we need? Can you think of a good country that, what about, what about Sweden? We don't have Sweden yet. Let's, uh, let's go for that then. Okay. Every other time we've had a wish list, we've gotten it. Yeah. So. So The state of Maryland. State of Maryland. Entire country of Sweden. Yeah. (laughs) We look forward to hearing from you. Yes. Awesome. Well, we decided to break this monster of an album up into two eps, side A and side B, so that you will not, like, lose years listening to us. Right. And we will not lose years (laughs) creating this. So I think we should really Well, we it. will in total. We're just not going to lo- lose that much time in one sitting. No, yes. <laughs> It'll still be the same amount of time, but it'll be uh, more tolerable for everyone, we hope. 
Um, so I have some fun facts. Can we start off there? Yeah. Do you want to first tell me what you're drinking? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. I am drinking Bailey's Salted Caramel on the Rocks, which is just okay. Yeah. He's got to get through the bottle. Yeah. I'm time. almost done. I think I, if I pour like another little half a glass, I would have been okay. But yeah, almost done. What are you drinking? I have Jameson Irish Whiskey, the Black Barrel, which is charred for a rich, smooth taste. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a spokesperson. I know. If this episode is not brought to you from Jameson, because we have no sponsors, but <laughs> <laughs> they're but getting- it's so good. I hadn't had this right before. And like the bottle's half gone, and I'm really hoping that my husband is drinking some of it, because <laughs> otherwise... It's going faster than I anticipated. <laughs> and now your kids. <laughs> it's not my kids. It's not my kids. I know that much. Not yeah. yet, anyway. No. Ooh. Well, let's dive into this Joshua Tree. You've got fun stats for us? Yeah, I do. It was recorded between January 1986 and January 1987, which is a crazy long amount of time compared to every other album that they've um recorded but in and in the breaks in there they did because they did the conspiracy of hope tour um, yeah and uh which if you want to know more about listen to our last podcast the good stuff good stuff it was recorded in all in dublin at sts studio at danes moat house which is uh it was rented, but later Adam bought the house, and that's his residence. It's like a castle. Yeah. Oh, I had read that it was at Adam's house, but maybe they didn't get it. Maybe the uh, quotes I was reading were referring to it, like, in hindsight. Well, I, I read that Edge and his wife were looking for a house, and that was one of the homes that was for sale, and hmm. they liked it, but they didn't think it was right for them but they got the owners to run it to the band nice. to do some preliminary you know songwriting and uh recording some tracks and and then at some point after that adam bought the house gotcha and the story goes that there's a the bottom of the hill or something is a boarding school that he once got kicked out of so how fitting <laughs> is that that the boarding schools or whatever the the school he went to was like you know get out you're not good enough and then he bought the house on the hill <laughs> that overlooks them so that's uh, awesome i had yeah. not heard that then uh the next place they recorded was uh, mel beach which i think was where larry was living at the okay. time somebody was living there either um they did do some stuff at edges home so the thing the name that i read was that edge edge wrote and i have a little clip about that i'll get i have a little bit about that later but that um for some reason i think it was larry's but okay. it, it was a home somebody's home and then the last uh, part of the recording was uh, at Windmill Lane, which finished it up. They're old, you know, stomping grounds. Um, it was released on March 9th, 1987. Uh, there were five singles, With or Without You, 
that was released on March 21st, 87. I still found one looking for uh, May 25th, 87, where the streets have no name, August 7th, 87. In God's Country, uh, November 16th, 87. And then in March of 88, One Tree Hill was released in Australia and New Zealand only. It was again produced yeah. by um, Brian Eno <laughs> <laughs> and Daniel Lanois. It was uh, a lot of, it was, I guess, Brian Eno moved on to another project before it was finished. So a lot okay, of it was yeah. uh, was mixed and, I guess, edited by uh, Steve Lillywhite, who did uh, um, Boy, October, and War. I believe. Um, yeah, because he said he would only do two, right? And then he ended up also doing War. Yeah. Um, so it ended up number one on both the UK and US charts. Um, it was at the end of the year charts in the UK, it was number two. In the US, it was number six. The end of the decade charts in the UK, it was number 10. Wow. Yeah, it... Uh, certified sales in the UK nine times platinum, which is two million eight hundred eighty albums sold. Wow! And, um, in the US, it's diamond, which is ten mil- more than ten million. So I have fun so, fact to go along with that. Okay, it was the first release. So at the time, you know, cassettes were the big thing, and they would see how something was selling, and then go to CD. <laughs> you have the exact same thing. <laughs> exact same thing. Next on my list. Go ahead, though. So it was the first release to ship record, cassette, and CD simultaneously, which also ended up making it was the largest shipment of CDs in the industry. When all was said and done, the Joshua Tree was the first platinum CD ever sold. It sold a million copies of the disc alone. First CD ever to go platinum. It's crazy. Really crazy. There, um, in London, Tower Records put it on sale at midnight, and over a thousand people got in line to um, buy it, including Elvis Costello. Really? That's According fascinating. To the facts. Huh. Well, that came from <laughs> Carter Allen's book. Okay. So if that is a wrong fact, Mr. Costello. You can talk to Mr. Carter Allen. Let us know, too, please. Yeah, give us a call, Elvis. Let us know. Yeah. Um, So that's crazy because, I mean, the album goes on sale at... Well, I guess at that time they had... um, They didn't. They didn't have any singles that came out before the album was released. So never mind that. Yeah. So this is... That's blind faith. Yep. People, that many people bought the album just sight unheard. Oh, a thousand people, it says. <laughs> Sound it's unheard. Crazy. Totally crazy. And let me tell you, this, they're, they're in for a... Sh- they're in for a very good surprise. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I mean, I guess that's... I don't know, that's just amazing. That's a really amazing uh, fact right there. Yeah. I think that most people will agree that this is one of U2's top albums. I think 
a lot well, of people I- would say absolutely iconic. Yeah. It's- I mean, if you've heard of you too, you've heard of the Joshua Tree. Yeah. Or at least um, you know the songs. Yeah, yeah. The hits. Um, so I have my theory with the trilogy is that um, Joshua Tree is the second in this particular trilogy after Unforgettable Fire and before Rattle and Hum. Yeah. So I have that's something. A- oh, that segues into something, but I have something else I want to say first. I'm going to okay. go back to that. Okay. Because I want to um, talk a little bit. Like we talked about the fun facts and the stats, I want to talk a little bit musically. Okay. In general, I have a thing about that to say too, but yeah. So I have there's quotes from both Bono and Larry talking about how Bono says like this one is a significant record because it was time for him. He said, "Come clean" as a word writer, like he could no longer be. He had to truly tell the stories and not be doing sketches. So he had to really like amp up. And even Larry mentioned that Bono was doing that. But he also said, and I thought this was interesting, and it's so obvious reading it, that it captures something that Bono does live that they've never caught on recording before. Huh. Just interesting. It's so hard. I've heard so many of these songs live so many times, especially the staples like Streets, that I can, when I hear that recorded version, I only hear the live. Exactly. I'm the same exact way. So it's yeah. hard to know, but they both just mentioned how this is so much more of a concrete album. Right. And it's songs as opposed to this, like, overall painting. Yeah. So my, I have a a bit about Bono saying about the sketching, too. He said that he always thought it was old-fashioned to write words. So he did. Yeah. Exactly what you said. He sketched songs at the mic. Um, but he, the quote I have is, for Joshua Tree, he thought it was time to write words that meant something from his life experience. Yeah. And so, which, I mean, I mean all the other like, songs are from been his happening life. for a while. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, but I mean, def- there's definitely, you know, the... Um, I mean, it's, this album's definitely not a sketch of anything. No. It's, a, it's you know, it sounds like confidence. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple little um, kind of personal comments. Okay. That one of the things is that this album changed my life. It totally, it changed the course of my life. Like, I don't know what my life would have been if... I hadn't heard this album if I hadn't, you know, jumped off the deep end into this one. <laughs> um, but without the Joshua Tree, I wouldn't be speaking to any of you right now, and I wouldn't have my friends. And so my question, not my question, but my what I would say to Bono over Risky and Cake, which I know we're getting ahead, I'm a little okay. ahead of myself. If it's now, it's now. This is what I'd want to say to him is, you know, thank you for this album and thank you for it all, but I wouldn't have my friends without this album. And, um, I don't know what I would do without you guys. So that's a huge thing. And I've really, that's the number one thing I've, unfortunately I haven't had any quality time with Bono 
to say that since I came up with that theory years ago. <laughs> but yeah, um, because yeah, but uh, that needs to be said. I need to say that that's um, that's, that's a huge Whiskey and Kate conversation. Yeah. Um, and okay, so preparing for this, I don't know how you felt, but I was just so stressed out. I'm still a little stressed out about this episode because it kind of go from like having no words to say to having all the words all to say the words all the words and i imagine that songwriting has a has similar construction issues and i think i have a newfound um sympathy for bono with that because this episode has just been huge but i so i feel like and and this is hashtag i think bono would be proud um (laughs) i felt like uh taking this is i wrote this actually that taking on the goliath that is the joshua tree has been very rough and exhausting but i definitely felt like king david the underdog and persevered and took down the giant see what i did there i see what you did there yeah, so I, I don't. I think Bono would be proud of hashtag. I think Bono would be proud of that. Yeah, the other thing, and this is, I think, for my personal statements for the album as a whole, this is it. But you know, I, I think that the album is just so well mixed, and it's it's hard imagining these songs coming from coming out of a studio at all it just seems like they were born this way you know like i I can't see them being in a studio like these um these songs are just so good that you don't think that you don't hear uh with one exception which we'll get to later but you don't hear the studio in these albums which a lot of prior uh u2 songs i think you can hear that you can you can see how things you know you can hear the studio environment um well there are maybe i would say there are quotes from both edge and larry about this album how this is you know sometimes sometimes you write the song and sometimes the song writes you kind of thing and they both said about this album that this is the first real instance where the song's controlled right everything as opposed to the artists i can i can totally see that and so i think i never really dug deep into learning about the recording one thing is because they didn't they don't really talk about it that much i mean they talk about in the studio all the time about with octung baby like each one of those songs they've you know you can you know what happened, the making of each one of those songs. They don't talk about that as much with the Joshua Tree. So you have to dig for that information. And I think maybe I hadn't done that because maybe it would have, you know, ruined the magic or something for me. It did not. But most of this information is brand new to me. Yeah. I, from doing this podcast, because I didn't know a whole lot of this before, before we started this, which is kind of a... That's exciting. Yeah, a big thing. is so ingrained in your life and you know so well that yeah, to have it be but, brand new again. Yeah, it really feels like that. And I mean, I'm not kidding. My anxiety about this has been 
ridiculous. It's just so much to take on. When we and decided that we were done with the Unforgettable Fire and it was time to start listening to the Joshua Tree, it took me a week to start listening to it. Yeah. I was so scared. <laughs> yeah, I was too. But it also was so crazy because it sounded new to me. Like, I mean, I've heard this album eight million times and, you know, five yeah. times through live or six times, or I think, I don't remember. But it sounded, listening to it being, you know, listening to it, knowing that we're going to talk about it, that it's on the horizon, everything just sounded totally different to me. Absolutely. Which was so exciting because, you know, you always want that that first listen again, and you don't get that very often. But I think that's so cool that we're that we're getting this, and so we have a rule that we aren't allowed to listen ahead. Which listening into these shows that have been going on, the current Joshua Tree nineteen shows that are going on down under, has been a great cheat. Yes, <laughs> been allowing me to hear some other things. But recorded-wise, I've only listened to Joshua Tree since we finished Unforgettable Fire. I've been very good about that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I didn't I didn't start yeah. um, to listen until we were done with that. I like, have listening to them evolve from Boy to October to War to get Unforgettable Fire to hear. Like, it's like rediscovering the band all over again. It absolutely it's is. so amazing. Okay, so we cannot mention this album without first talking about America and the overall influence and influence. And this is our first ginormous look into the band's love affair slash love hate relationship with America. the idea, America. the love of the idea and the love of the people and the hate of some of the politics and the yeah. things that were going on, which we'll get to later. But while not every song on the album is about America, it seems that every song, at least like style maybe, is influenced by listening to American artists and being in the landscape and being in the desert and this and that. Because there's definitely songs that are not about America. No, definitely. But they all, it's all influenced by their time here. My, uh, I have a Bono quote about that. He said from his trip uh, to Africa, he thought that while Africa had a physical desert, we all have a desert of some sort. And that's what attracted him to using the desert as a symbol. Yeah. Yeah, they were really enamored by the Nevada deserts and the Sierra Nevada out in California and Nevada. Um, and of course, that's where all the imagery of the Joshua Tree and Joshua Tree National Park and Death Valley. The Joshua Tree on the cover of the album is actually, that location is in Death Valley, um, not in Joshua Tree National Park. But yeah. And there was something that was like the desert wasn't lacking. The desert, like all things were possible with the wide open spaces. Are we ready to dive into the songs? Yeah, I think we are. Um, okay. Because I, I, I have to go back to my transition if we're ready. I, I'm so curious what you're going to say you because I have a transition too. Okay. This is not my revelation. So you probably read the same thing. <laughs> that. No, mine is actually my revelation. But go ahead. Oh, this is your revelation. No, this I read. 
And I thought it was so brilliant because I'd read all these quotes about how Bono had stopped writing from a sketch and the songs were solid. Um, they stood alone, blah, blah, blah. But going from the unforgettable fire into where the streets have no name, which is track one in the Joshua Tree, side A, was a perfect transition because it is the only song on the album that is also a sketch. So it like brought the people who loved Unforgettable Fire so much. It like was like a comforting welcome while at the same time, this huge new sound that had become the band. And with that, we can talk about where the streets have no name. <laughs> well, so this was my absolute, I actually didn't read that, but my revela- my revelation kind of was if you it's it's in the same you know area but if you play mlk and then let it go into streets yeah it's like fluid it's like you you know i mean like what exactly what you were saying except that i didn't read that but it's it literally sounds like where mlk ends where the streets have na- no name begins. Like they're, right. they they like just kind of like blend right into each other, which yeah. kind of made my head explode because it's it's literally where unforgettable the album unforgettable fire. It's ends. what you said ends and the Joshua yeah. Tree begins, but it's so specific. I mean, if, right. It works for the album, for the album, you know, as a whole. But those two songs are just kind of nuts. Like it, if you listen to just those albums back to back, it it is full evolution, right? And that just listening, hearing that made my head explode because it's just that, you know, it's like that. There's almost something like dreamy that just kind of flows in those two songs. Absolutely. And it they, it just... And like, one it, fades out, and then it fades it like it... Yeah. And, I mean, like, if, if you think about that, you think about MLK as being a closer, and it's really not, you know? It's and an like intro. You, it's <laughs> an intro. To, I have chills with this. When I wrote this down, it I was... It, it blew my mind, because... It, it really sounds like those songs go together. And I never would have thought that before. Yeah. Ever. That's amazing. Well, I, okay. So where the streets have no name, it has been played 800. Well, you know what? I didn't update my figures. So it's been played now 891 times. (laughs) Did you add two? I just had to add two. (laughs) I have heard it 53 out of 61 shows. I mean, 46 out of 50. We had mentioned before, like, we need to talk about the album and not about the live versions. And some of these songs cannot be separated. No, you can't separate Where the Streets Have No Name from being live. Like, it, I mean, it's just crazy to me because, but they were, they were looking for to write a live song. They, they had this, you know, like a blank. You know, like they they needed a spot for the live song, a spot for the right. big, you know, single, or whatever. And uh, anyway, so I my note is as the as the story goes, um, that it took a long time for this song to come into its uh, fruition. Weeks. 
Yeah. Right. And the longer it took, the more our producer slash villain, Brian Eno, <laughs> disliked it. And he hated it so much that he was going to stage an accidental erasing. Like Whoops. He ordered people out of the room. Yeah. And he was going to erase the song because he, he didn't like it. And it, it frustrated him so much because it took so long. And um, an engineer, like, physically stopped him right before he hit yeah. a button. And that's not cool. But it's also not the first or the last time you two got bamboozled by Eno. <laughs> bamboozled is the word that I, Man. before we even started this, I said, somehow I'm going to work the word bamboozle into it's this It's very podcast. inappropriate, that work. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this is one of those songs Sengali, that said, Man, he angers me so much. But anyway, go ahead. But somehow he does good work. He helps our band do good work. Um, this was one of those songs that Edge said, like, they had to wait for the song to arrive. They just had to keep working until the song arrived. Like, it was there. It wasn't about their skills or them creating it. It was had to show up so it's a quote uh, from the edge he said that he uh, had bought he and his wife had bought a house but no they hadn't moved in yet and he just needed uh they sent bono away to write lyrics they like <laughs> managed him and said yeah. he couldn't come back unless uh he had lyrics so edge uh, decided to go into his empty house no furniture or anything and just see how you know, the acoustics were, and if he could just be by himself. As, as you would, yeah. As would. Um, <laughs> as Edge would. <laughs> yeah, and so he said that he thought, he tried to dream up what he would want to hear if he was at a U2 show. At, oh, that's so great. At, yeah. Um, he's never not, been to a U2 show. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he's been at them, but, but anyway, um, so he said it was his attempt to conjure up the ultimate U2 live song. He he said it was a strange feeling when I finished the rough mix because I thought I had just come up with the most amazing guitar part and song of my life. But it was but I was totally alone in a big house with no one to share it with. He said uh, I remember listening to the complete silence of the house for a few seconds after the mu music had stopped and then doing a dance around the room, punching the air. He's like, and then I went home. <laughs> That's the exact. Oh, I love that man. That is so great. Look, isn't it? Can't you see that? Just like him, like running around, just like. <laughs> He's like this victory lap. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I love that so much. That quote. I think that's the oh, favorite. Amazing. My most favorite thing I read. That is so great. Yeah. Well, so what I have then is a little bit pertinent. It goes well with that. And that, so I'm in the car and I've got the, the album on and I've got, it's a nice day. I've got the windows down it's blaring and I'm making a fool of myself driving a car, listening to the song. And I was thinking about, I think it was back with Bad on the Unforgettable Fire. We were talking about that there are just some songs that when they're, sometimes it works in the recorded version, but it always works in the live version where you just like, you're just transported into the song and you're like in your own space maybe to the people like it's communal i don't know but like 
like you just get into the song like you were feel like you're literally in the song yeah and they have a good job of doing that live but with streets is and bono will say that with this um song especially live he's asking like the biggest question of the audience and that's like trust trust me and come with me Mm -hmm. i know those aren't his words but you know it's like just come on, we're going to go on this journey together and you've got to just trust me on it. And it is like, this is the song where like, Bono takes you by the hand and you're like there together. And you're also with everyone else in the audience. But instead of kind of getting to this like trance mode of just kind of being lost in the rhythm, it's this like crazy communal all together feel. And I was really excited about that. (laughs) the the excitement of that song is like tangible or something it's it's just yeah no matter but it has he says he's asking the audience to take a leap of faith i see that so i and again i know we said we weren't going to talk specifics about the live versions but i think this this it's okay so i mean my heart races every time i hear it like if I'm in the grocery store or something. Oh, and like just the intro, that humming of the organs, like the chills I get or like. Yeah. Well, so. It's real reaction. Obviously, you know, for the Joshua Tree Tour, it's, uh, you know, it has the huge, you know, it's just red and the impact and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think what excites me the most, my memories is uh, for Pop Mart. When mm-hmm. he ran down the catwalk to the end of the B stage, and we were mostly always at the end of the B stage, and he was like running towards us, and that it was, you know, to us, to us, and it was so exciting. It was, uh, you know, I don't think there'll ever be another concert moment, a regular concert moment that is that exciting to me. That was just, yeah. um, like again, if he could have literally taken our hands and taken us on the journey right there and then he yeah. wouldn't have. And he did. I mean, we were I mean, that was I don't know, that just made us such a part of that song. But it's so dramatic with the rise and fall that that you get that that I mean, I listen to it and I get that as, you know, the live version, which again yeah. most songs you don't you don't hear that. I have a really fun fact that I never noticed before there are no backing vocals. None. Huh. It's None. just straight up, straight yep. up on a, that's it. Interesting. Yep. I absolutely I don't think that. it's like that live, but the actual album version. Um, yeah. That's... Oh, I have to pay attention. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? I believe it. I, was, I listened to it in my car one morning and I'm like, wait a minute. I got to listen to this again because I think I just imagined that. And I went back and listened to it another like three times. And I'm like, oh, my God, there are no backing vocals. And I don't think there's another. I can't think of another song. Not on this album. I can't think of another song. There's always. I mean, it's whether it's Edge or Edge and Bono, there's some kind of mixing. Whether it's a chorus or the um, bridge. So getting back to 
nitty gritty of the song, there's always been lots of talk because um, it is a sketch from Bono about having been in Africa. And is this a spiritual place? Is this a romantic place? Like it's kind of all encompassing um, a sketch of a location. It's not a specific place. But I read this thing that he said, which was something that was new to me, that he had learned from someone else that in Belfast, you can literally tell not only your religion, but how much money you make, what kind of job you have by like literally what side of the road you live on, on a specific street. It was that separated hmm. by not only religion and, but class and socioeconomical. What met, so if you told someone what street name you lived on and what like house number it was, they could tell any number of things about you in your huh. lifestyle. So he wanted to write about a place where the streets have no name, where those things don't matter, which can then take you back to Africa and take you back to spiritual places and take you back to, but I had never heard that before. I thought that was really like an interesting place for that. So I can remember where I I wrote this note and I got it from the guy that wrote it. He said, the funny thing is that we don't know the location of these nameless streets they're in Africa or Dublin or the U.S. or in love. And I just thought that was kind of... It's amazing. Bon- <laughs> yeah. To say yeah. that, you know, you're driving around with streets that have no name. You don't really have, you know, a map of love either, you know? Right. So right. you can take... this. That song has endless... Um, explanations to it endless meanings um but it's interestingly uh, enough bono's been talking about it recently about how he's just not he's not happy with the lyric because he just thinks that the sketch and it's not finished and there's like just so much more that could be there and so this is i might have more questions for him later but my question over whiskey and cake to him would be like knowing what he knows how he knows the song now after having performed it almost 900 times would it be even worth changing like does he wish it was more right or is it perfection as it is there was some that great interview and i forget what it was you and i watched it together it might have been an australian interview i forget but but it was the whole band and bono was going on about it a little bit and edges next to him just like shaking his head like you're a fool <laughs> you're a fucking fool <laughs> like and Bon will be like no like the band's perfect he's like but the the lyrics are too simple or something and Ed just continues to be like don't, don't be an asshole <laughs> well it's you know I just had this uh you saying that I, I just had this kind of comparison but like um there's a old Jewish mothers and grandmothers or whatever there's a they make a big deal where you sit down to eat and they feed you something and they're like oh but it's too salty (laughs) (laughs) like they're always telling you what's wrong with it and then I think then you say oh no but it's good or whatever no 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 it's it should have been you know yeah 
sweeter or whatever it's so there's something wrong with it like they'll never say that the their food i think it's some sort of superstition or something like that i don't know yeah. i know my grandmother used to do it she would tell you what you know what was wrong with the food even though that was kind of Probably not delicious. true at all yeah. but i feel like maybe that's but maybe bono has a little bit of the jewish bubby syndrome <laughs> Apparently, there's Jewish on his mother's side. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I never thought about that before. But I think that uh, he might have a little bit of that <laughs> Jewish bubby. <laughs> syndrome where it's like... I will never not think that now when I look at Yeah, him. I never thought about it. This, that was right <laughs> off the cuff. But... Uh... <sighs> yeah. Oh, little buddy. Oh, when my mom says it, I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right We're not it's playing that salty. game you say that it's too salty then okay it is yeah right i'm not playing that game but with my grandmother i always oh me it's different yeah 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 <laughs> my 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 other grandmother did it way more than bobby but anyway yeah bono the bobby <laughs> so should hey there listeners if you're a U2 fan, you are more than likely aware of the work that Bono has done and continues to do in Africa. It's amazing work, and the exciting thing is you can get involved too. There are two simple ways. One, go to one.org and sign up to fight against extreme poverty. Two, visit red.org to shop. What? Shopping helps? It sure does. By purchasing Red branded products, you are contributing to the Global Fund, which supports HIV AIDS grants in many African countries. As your man says, where you live should not decide whether you live or whether you die. So head on over to one.org and red.org to join the Garden Tarts in doing our part to end AIDS. Should we move on to the second track? Yes, I would love to do that. Track two okay. of side A is I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. That has been played 677 times updated, and I've heard it 43 times out of 629. I thought it might be more, but there was a while it wasn't around. Did you miss it? I do now. I didn't before. I had heard it enough, but, but hearing it, was... it in context with the Joshua Tree... Yeah. It was pretty amazing. And now I hear it like just playing my CD or on the radio and I have a whole new love for it. I I do too. Like, and I feel like the fact that it wasn't played at all on I&E made me love it even more. Yeah. And I didn't, I, this is not one of my all time favorite songs. I have a lot to say about it, but it's not. Um... Me neither. But man, the just the joy that was in the room. Yeah. Like, to them play it during the JT tour. Yeah. Like that just stays with me now. And I must say, so Garden Tart Amanda, this is her favorite song of all time. Like of every artist, every band, every, and she, as much as she's a U2 fan, she is quite the artist and catalog of things that she loves. Yeah. And this is her song, and there is nothing quite like being next to her at a show when this song plays. It is her happy place. I love it, and it's, it's interesting because I vividly remember that 
when I first got into the album that my two favorite songs on the album were I Still Haven't Found Looking For and With or Without You. And I feel like those really weren't my two favorite songs. It was just like genius marketing. Yes. Like they like it was yeah. they were so well marketed. They were so well played on the radio that it actually kind of screwed with my head to make well, me yeah. think that that was those were my uh, favorite songs and, and by no I mean they're wonderful songs I I love it so much you know people complain again we're going to the live thing but quite often Bono will start the song and then just stop singing and I know a lot of people complain about that because you know they say they don't go to a U2 concert to hear the audience sing they go to hear Bono sing but I I love it I love that it works to hear in this song I think it does it works uh, it doesn't work as church. well But it is. It's, it is like going to this church. My non-church-going, non-religious practicing self. Right. It's I, a, to it, me, is the church. Is this is the church song I accept? It's a you know, it's it's a spiritual congregation. That's, yes, there you that's go. That's what it is. But you know, when we sing, when we are, we're all singing the song. It's like I don't know. I feel like we're just the audience just becomes like unified as because we all know the lyric. And I was saying for, I don't get that vibe with one. Like he he does the same same thing with one, but with one, it's just like, I don't know. It's also, I mean, one's a wonderful song, but this just kind of touches me a little bit more. This has a little more of a special place in my heart. One is a solo song and this song. And if you will talk about it on Rattle and Hum, but this song isn't meant to be sung in, by a church choir right like it's it's meant for the people right to sing not just one singer so i have uh i have something that will maybe make your head explode if you haven't read this okay i'm waiting okay edge says he doesn't like it because the beginning of it sounds like eye of the tiger (laughs) (laughs) sorry Sorry for everyone. It ruins the song forever. All I hear now is like, dun, 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 dun. You, you hear <laughs> I of the Tiger. I have to pour more drinks now. That killed me. <laughs> it hurt my heart. It hurt my brain. I'm, I'll never forgive him for saying that. Does he know he has the ability to change that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just a little tweak here was- or there. A more update. I mean, that wasn't an article. That wasn't a quote from way back. I think that was from either. I think that was from like YouTube by YouTube, maybe that he said that. I'm gonna have to look with that in mind or listen with that in mind because the other thing is that there's something. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe try not to think about that. The other thing that I discovered with listening for the this episode is. There's something with the cadence of the song, of the lyrics, that, that's just really different. And I don't know that I've ever thought about it before, but, like, the pause, the, the beat that... I'm saying Absolutely. this totally unskilled musically, but... So I have a few, a few places highlighted, but Bono says, I've spoke with the tongue of angels. And it just <laughs> doesn't seem like the right... You know, it's like he just glosses over those two words, you know, but they're separated with the, and then yeah, like I've first, held like, the, why is there a pause? Yeah, I've, I've held the 
hand of a devil, you know, I believe in the, but the way that he says it, it's, it's like, I don't know. I can't, I don't know the exact wording, but it's a totally different. You're expressing it. You're expressing it. It's there. (laughs) But it is a totally different cadence from the usual, any song. It's just got a different, I don't know. Well, the song definitely has gospel roots. This is like an, this is as American. Yeah. To American roots as you can get. On this album, I think, well, in my knowledge, and I wonder if there is something in gospel songs that has something like that. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know either. I need to. That's a good. That's a good further research. So this song was originally a song called "Under the Weather." I have that note too. That's and then I'm out of notes for. Yeah, in a different melody, but Edge came up with the title. And then Bono's imagination like went from there. And what's so cool about this song and to there, I've read a few quotes over the years from like religious leaders saying that they love this song so much because it isn't a blind faith song. It's not God Almighty, Jesus is the one, put your faith here and have no doubts because it is all about questioning your faith and doubt. I think, I don't know about you, but for me, it makes it a thousand times more believable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As a religious song, that it's questioning so much, which I just absolutely love. I, I love it, too. But my, I also, you know, have, I I mean, I think that my thing is that if you stop questioning religion, then you become just one of those people that i don't like <laughs> right. well we you talked know, about October, you're like right. all we blind did talk. do not trust blind faith yeah yeah so if you don't question you know then something's wrong and i i agree with that that that's uh that's what i want to hear out of a religious song yeah we were talking about the unforgettable fire and how that ends with mlk and how that so seamlessly goes into where the streets have no name which is another sketch of a song so if I could dare say that this is the first proper formal song the band has presented to us. Like this song is tight. It is tight. Like, it is so tight. The music, the lyrics, the everything. Even with its kind of like interesting strange beat stuff, it is it is a legit song. It is. It is. And You're right. It's tight. Now we get more of them, but oh my gosh, it's just so good and so much fun. And I can't help now. I can't help it nowadays when I I feel like we have to do apps about videos because that would be fun. But I did yeah. this video, and this video cracks me up so much because I guess the story goes that Ed showed up on time, and the rest of the band had been overserved, and they were late. <laughs> So and you just, can see it in the video, like Edge is yeah. pissed. Edge is totally like, sober and on time, and the rest of them are are, are pretty yeah. lit. And it's pretty obvious. I mean, even mm-hmm. Larry's giggling and laughing. <laughs> and then, like at the end, is it? It's right that Adam just gets in a cab and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like just Hi. in the video, he's just like, "I'm out. I'm done. I called it in." Yeah, it that's just the most fun. So I I have a little. We'll talk about that more, but I just can't. I can't not tell this story. But 
so I was in uh, 97. I went down to, when we were there, went down to uh, Fremont Street where the video was filmed and it wasn't, now it's like, Las Vegas, yeah. Yeah, now it's, uh, I'm sorry I didn't say Las Vegas, but yeah. Now it's like a enclosed, like, um, like almost like a mall isn't the right word, but it's like the old downtown. They've like enclosed and protected it, right? Yeah. It wasn't like that then. It was still open. And uh, I went with a friend of ours who had apparently done this research and said, this is where this part of the video was and this part of the video was. And we're standing somewhere, and I can't remember exactly what part of the video, but one of the parts of the video, and this lady just, like, walks into a window. (laughs) Like, it's, it's like a, you know, like a... I mean, it's like a, I guess it was like a window to like a casino where you could see out, but you couldn't see in. Yeah. There clearly was, and you could see your reflection. (laughs) There clearly was a window there. And she just like hit right into the window. Like it was like a cartoon or something. But anyway, I also can't help but think about that. Yeah. uh, Because maybe she was, you know, late and lit. Too, and <laughs> like, I'm sure. Our guitar player's mad too. Yeah. <laughs> All these but songs it, they get so many places. It, they do. They really, really do. And both Bono and Edge have been quoted in interviews saying this recently about just in the last year about how the, like they don't own these songs anymore because we all have stories and experiences with them. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a talking point for the band right now, but it's so like. You just lived that. <laughs> like, right, right. That's your version of this song. So, yeah, that's that's a good thing to talk about over uh, whiskey and cake. Yeah. Here's my story. Right? <laughs> you have your story. Here's what happened. <laughs> now I have it in my head. When right. I hear the song, I see a woman running into a window. <laughs> Walk, I mean, like, like it was like it was. She walked into it like it was an open door or something. But it was oh God, it was wonderful. <laughs> I hope she's still okay. I'm sure she's. It's twenty some years later. I think she like you know had like little birds flying around her head and then just like walked it off. <laughs> That's how it looked in my imagination. Yeah. That seems about right. Yes. Should we move on to the next song? We should. What's the next song? The next song is track three, which is With or Without You. It has been played 833 times. 833, wow. I've heard it 46. I've heard it 37. We missed it? No, and I hate, I feel guilty about that. We didn't hear it. I don't, I feel guilty about that. I miss Street. I mean, I can honestly say that Ian I, I miss Streets, but I didn't miss With or Without You. And I feel bad about saying it because I love that song so much. I was okay to not have Streets on Ian I. I think it was a good break from it because there's some other, they've got some other really big songs, like big live songs now. But this song, I, it's one of those songs that I see on the set list. I'm like, oh, this is, yeah, it's here. And then once it happens and it gets to the end, I just, it's one of my favorite live moments. But let's talk about the song first. This is, we have Gavin Friday to thank for this song. Yes. We do. He was the one who saved it. 
they had the drums and the bass, but it all wasn't coming together. And then apparently Gavin heard Edge playing his new Infinite guitar. Edge, you got a new toy. <laughs> and Gavin's like, that's it. And I'd heard, I haven't heard, read or heard this recently, but in my mind, I have this memory of reading that Gavin like went in the other room and like mixed it together. And was like, look what I have done. <laughs> and then he got in a apparently screaming fight with McGinnis about how it should be a single. And McGinnis is like, because it's a very, I mean, us now, it's like a major part of their canon. Like, this is one of the biggest U2 songs. Right. There is. Like, how is this not a huge single? But I don't think it was an obvious single at the time. It was very different than anything else in the radio. And Gavin knew it. And McGinnis was like, no, this is not a good business decision. And Bono sided with Gavin. And voila. Yep. The rest is history. You just hit ever. I, um, that song is perfect. And I think it's perfect. The first time I think we can say that Bono's voice is beautiful. It is beautiful. Like, I, I mean, you know, you can say it on. For other songs, his voice is strong. His voice is, you know, emotional or whatever. But I don't think you can say beautiful until we get to With or Without You. That's just my... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that. Yeah. And I mean, part of it is, you know, there's definitely a sexiness to his singing that they didn't, like, edit out his breath. Like, you can hear him right. breathing in the song, which is just... Um, I mean, it's supposed to come off as, like, this sultry kind of love song. Yeah. And, so I mean, it his, isn't, but... Right, it's not. But, you know, it's... It, I feel like it's a cop-out to say, but it is in my top five U2 songs. And I don't know why. I just always have a thing against singles. That's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just one. don't I like can't... people telling me what my favorite song should be, what I should listen to. Right, yeah, like, like, it's like you know too much, so you yeah. shouldn't. Why go yeah. with the masses? Uh-huh. And I, I definitely feel like it's a cop-out to say that because... There's a um, reason it's so popular. Right. But, I mean, it's... How, how do you not fall in love with, you know, that voice and the fragile character in the lyrics? Like, it's I know. just... I mean, it's not a love song, but how do you not... How are you not in love? I like, and so this is honest. I'm honestly telling you, I heard this song, you know, 269 million times. But the first time I listened to it in preparation for this podcast, I actually cried. Like it made me so emotional, which is just nuts because, you know, I I probably heard this song more than I've heard any other U2 song, and partially by choice. But my my reaction to it just and like i said before just doing this preparing for this podcast has just changed how i've how i've listened not just for this album for all the albums but this got to me like i seriously felt like it was the first time i'd heard the song and oh god it's Um, amazing yeah but i mean to listen to his range and his vocal control and he doesn't sing through his nose anymore which he did that a lot Um, so i do have one a huge pet peeve in this song okay 
because I was in choir all through high school. And our choir teacher, Christine Leachmany, says, we do not chew in this choir. We, you, we don't go with or without chew. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember, so it was while I was in choir that I discovered this song. And I was like, what the fuck's he doing, man? (laughs) But every once in a while, he gets it out, like, without you. So that's like that that's like a little running joke in my head, a little pet peeve I have, but it does not keep me from loving the magic of the song. I have written down that it's a mix of a love song and a religious religious song, but ultimately it's about Bono himself. And yeah. he'll say I've re- I've read this quote a thousand times in a thousand different places, 269,000 times. Then he will say, the entire band knows that when I sing and you give yourself away, that that is only about me. That is only about Bono. And it's about being on stage and singing the songs and being this pop star and this public figure. And like, what do you keep for yourself? Right. So how do you live with that? I've had this uh, theory and I've talked to you about it. I know many times, but. I feel like uh, With or Without You has a sister song, All I Want Is You, which is, this is my theory. I'm not getting this Mm -hmm. from anywhere else. But it both of these songs are a conversation between two people. And I did just read that Bono said, he didn't go into details. He said, you know, he doesn't talk about his personal life or whatever, which is bullshit because he does. (laughs) But he said, you know, he's he's obviously got some line, but that line's gotten very gray recently. Right, right. But he said, I'm not going into specifics who the speakers are. And I think, do think that was an old quote, but it's two, it's two people. It's a song about two people. And I, um. Are they not both him? They're not both him. Okay. And that's what makes the song not a love song it's kind of mean yeah it's like i actually have always thought that it's kind of it's kind of a mean song and you know like so i interpret it person one says basically i know i hurt you but you hurt me too and then person two says you know we've worked really hard to get to this point but we need to work harder and i'll wait and they both say, you know, I can't live with or without you. And then uh, person two says that person one gives himself away, you know, and huh. number one. And then person one says he's still hurt, but he's going to hurt either way. So that's how I see it. So it is Bono giving himself away, but he's not the one saying. I'm giving myself away. It's and you give yourself away. Right. So, you know, like he can, Interesting. yeah, yeah. so he says, like specifically in the lyric, but yeah, I know I hurt you, but you hurt me too. And that's, uh, see the stone set in your eyes, see the thorn twist in your side. I wait for you, the sleight of hand and twist of fate on a bed of nails. She makes me wait. So yeah. that's, you know. Person one, person two says, uh, through the storm we reach the shore, you give it all, but I want more. And that's, you know, we've worked really hard at this, but we still need to work more and I'll wait. You know, I'll, I'll wait. Yeah. And then. You oh, I love away. that. I've never read it that way. 
It's I. And I we can't... talked a lot about all I want is you, which we'll get to later. But I can't wait to hear to talk more about that because we yeah. haven't gone into crazy detail. Yeah, no, so this is theory on it, and, but this is again, great. I might be, I could be totally off on that, but I've always had, I've had this theory since, you know, I think, I don't know, not when I first heard the song, obviously, because I was a kid, but in my early, in my adult life, I've had this theory, I've had this theory for 20 some years. But I never heard Bono say that before. And I can't remember where he said it, but he said it's a conversation between two people, but I'm not going into into specifics over who they are or anything. And it's like, well, come on, dude. <laughs> you don't have to go in specifics. We get it. But, I mean, that to me is clearly what the song yeah. is. And again, I this its sister song is... All I want is you because it's the same thing. And I think people hear those songs and think, oh, this is so sweet. And both of them to me are pretty mean, aggressive songs. Like they're yeah. not lovey dovey. They're, you know, this is what's wrong with you kind of thing. Yeah. And, and I think All I Want Is You is, well, we'll again, we'll get to that next. But I think that's heavier than With or Without You, but that's what I hear. And, and again, I, I, love I could that. be totally totally off that could you know but that's just my how i hear it but and it's you know your what? song it is my song in, it is your song yeah and, and you've I, given it to us to interpret it how, how our right. hearts and do I, yeah uh, i said this um i was talking to uh, my friend lauren who is uh pretty much a, a new fan new ish fan but we saw my friend's youtube cover band and she was like when with or without you played when they played with or without you she just like stopped like in the middle of the song and was just like hey i think there's a story here and i'm dying to hear it oh i I love i love like i have it (laughs) (laughs) i mean maybe not but this is the story in my head and i felt like I think I just, maybe I haven't said it about with or without you. I know I say it all the time about all I want is you, that it's a conversation, but I felt like I, I do waited. not remember having this conversation with you, really? like you telling me it about this song. I've is said it. The it first I mean, I'm hearing this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, to me, it's the same song. Yeah. It really is. It's the same. I mean, it's like a part two of. Right. A really long song, but I felt like when Lauren asked me that, I was so excited to actually, someone asked me that question, that I have had this really, you know, evolved theory about, and anyway, so, well, thank you guys for listening to me say it this time, too, because really, this is not, clearly, this wasn't something off the cuff. I've Well, and what do we say that this is like? Our podcast is mostly opinion with a handful of facts thrown in. Like, that's what it's all about, right? Right. I mean, the truth is, it could be about really about, I don't know, dog or. No, we know too much. Garbage. We know know too much if that's not true. Yeah. But I will say, so if I could just, I mentioned this before, like at the end with like when the big, huge OOOs come in. That is one of my favorite live moments ever of any YouTube show. That, I don't know if it's 45 seconds or something. I miss that. I miss it. Yeah. 
God, just this song is just so much. For a song with, you know, pretty few lyrics. Yeah, it's not it's, a long song. No, lyrically. it's definitely a made-for-radio song. But it, it's I just, it's to me, it's just perfection. And I don't know that there are many other... I mean, there are p- plenty of songs I think are perfect, but I don't think there's... Again, it's in my top five. Yeah. It's probably in my... No, it's in my top five. I should try and make it top five-ish. Yeah. I mean, it changes daily, but today it's... Yeah. I think it's four or five in my top five. My my number one never changes, but the others uh, do. But we'll get to that. I don't think I know what your number one one is. Yeah. We'll we'll get to that. I know what yours is because I had to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) You It's one of my favorite stories of all time. (laughs) We'll get to that in a few more albums. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're wrong. I was like, oh, you're right. (laughs) Except I think it's changing. Yeah. So uh, the next song is track four, Bullet the Blue Sky. Okay. It's been played... uh, 781 times updated I've heard it 44 times and um, again you know we're not talking about how songs are live but Mm -hmm. I love this song live and I feel like a lot of people don't like I've heard a lot of people just over time just not have great things to say but I love that Bono does like performance art you know like for I&E he did this uh whole like speech thing that was the most brilliant thing ever and obviously we'll get to that later but I just love this song live because it changes so much it has evolved so much and tends to go with whatever the political climate is at the time I'm I admit that I'm done I'm kind of done with it live but that's just my own personal problem for just having heard it so many times so I don't complain to hear it 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 was, was kind of revived to me. It was it kind of had a you know revival to me for E and I because I love that part where he did the no 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 nineteen thing. Yeah, you know, the, it's true. And the megaphone was a great addition. Yeah, um, we'll get to all okay, that. Okay, so but the album uh, version is very different. Very very different. A, a little bit of a backstory. A little bit of a history lesson. After the Conspiracy of Hope tour in 1986, Bono and Ali went on holiday to war-torn El Salvador, Nicaragua, as you do on holiday. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they saw violence and death, and it was, you know, horrific. The thing that you also have to kind of think, and I, I don't know a ton about this, so you might want to google some of it too but i found this really interesting you might remember the whole debacle during the reagan and then some administration where we had the iran contra issues and they had these hearings all the time and people went to jail all over north and what that was which i don't think i really understood except that i knew that it was a bad thing was that the u.s was uh, were selling arms to Iran to make money to fund the Contras. 
in Nicaragua who were anti-communist and waging the civil war that was paid for by the U.S. And that's what... tax dollars. Yes. But, I mean, selling arms to someone that's not our friend anyway. Right. You know, to come up with money so that we could fight communism that I don't think was... And I was a kid, and I don't... Again, Google it. But I don't think it was that big of an issue. It was just the U.S. funding control and death, basically. Anyway, that's this. That's what was going on. Bono and Ali went to uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua, and they were in the middle of this civil war that you know the U.S. was paying for. So when you think about this song and when you listen to the lyrics, to me that makes so much more sense. I don't. Yeah. Again, I'm pretty good with history, but I didn't know the background of that just because it happened when I was a kid and I wasn't paying attention. Um, but to me, it, it sounds like it was just bullshit because how bad would us, you know, that little bit of communism hurt us, especially when, you know, right now, if you look at the world, democracy isn't working that great either. So <laughs> right. I don't know. Anyway, that's, that's the history. That's the background. Yeah. And Bono tells stories about, being in those countries and being shot at. And he's like, it's the first time I was shot at, as if there have been other times. But he said they were, um, like, warning shots. Like, this wasn't target practice. This was, Mm -hmm. you were in an area and you heard gunfire. And for all you know, it was coming at you, but it was, like, going way over the heads, whatever. And he came back home, and they're working on the album, and he told Edge the story and he's like, I need you to recreate this with your guitar. This warned, like hearing gunfire and wondering if it's at you and this, you know, civil war torn nation pump it out. What does it sound like? And he said something recently. I know you and I were talking about this and I can't remember where it was. It was so recent about how all musicians are storytellers and he gets the privilege of working with words, which are such as sometimes easier, but the edge is also a storyteller and he tells stories through his guitar and knowing that the picture he is painting is what Bono's told him about, you know, being in this war torn, these war torn countries. It's like, Oh, that is that sound. That's what that, that sounds is like. Exactly what that sounds like. And it's brilliant. So the I, musicianship uh, is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's also my uh I love saying this more than anything, is my um hashtag Bruce. I've got this guitar and I've learned how to make it talk. Yeah. And when you can hear a guitar and it sounds like another singer almost. Right. You know? It to me that's just the most I was just listening to some song the other day and I I can't remember what it was, but the the guitar just was so strong it sound it just sounds like someone else. It sounds like another entity entirely. Yeah. It's not just guitar playing, it's not just, you know, rhythm or whatever. It's right. someone singing, you know. My cousin it's like lyrics. Knew. My cousin has teenagers that are all musicians, like marching band musicians. 
And and it's a, I, I'm 99.9% sure this is a quote that she got from somewhere else, but she hashtags it all the time when she puts pictures of her kids up playing music. And she says, musicians make inanimate objects sing. Oh, that's really cool. Like a guitar just laying there is nothing. Right. Put, a mu- put it in a musician's hands and it's everything. Right. And the right. And I love, I just love that. And with that in mind, an instrument could be anything. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely anything. But I think about that when I hear songs like this. But yeah, this is this is where we this is where the love hate relationship comes in. Like when he talks Bono talks about how he loves the idea of America and he loves the people of America, but unfortunately the Americans have voted for and put their faith in a man, an actor, <laughs> nonetheless. Right. Who is now, who was at the time President Ronald Reagan, who was with a face red as red like a rose on a thorn bush. Thorn bush. He had those rosy. Yeah, that's Reagan right there. Yeah. Um, but the contrast of America is in here. This is, it's not even worth paraphrasing because Niall Stokes wrote it so nicely. He said, The song contrasts the burning crosses of the Ku Klux Klan with the liberating sounds of John Coltrane's saxophone. America, everything that's great about the world and everything that's repulsive about it. That just gave me chills. This is crazy, the, right? I mean, it's, it's like just, it sums up everything. It does. <laughs> These lyrics are, again, you know, we talked about a sketch versus, you know, proper mm-hmm. lyric writing. Um, I mean, obviously this is proper lyric writing, but this is an, this is a totally different caliber then um yeah it's like uh fun with words or it's not like fun but it's like <laughs> fun with the, words you know it's <laughs> it's like i don't know but the word the way that these lyrics are are just it's a different there's like a different dynamic to it it it's so well written but i kind of feel like it it's I don't know the word I'm thinking of because I don't have any musical knowledge, but it's just a, a much, it's a much clearer picture than any, like there's nothing in th- these words you take at face value. Yes. It's there's not, it's not hidden. No, but it's just a different kind of lyric writing than I think. I mean, burning we've heard before and pelting the women and children yeah, and, I mean, know, this is face red. Like these are such strong images. Like you can see yeah. them completely. I have a question for Bono over whiskey and cake. Okay. That I love when an album title comes from a lyric. I, I'm so, I know we've talked about. It. <laughs> you have it written down too. Like why did rattle and hum? Why did that stand out? Right. To become the title of their next album. You it's know, under that, well, yes, this song is on Rattle and Home, right? Live, um, but why did that lyric like like under a blood red sky from New Year's Day? I right. love it. I I wonder that. Like, why was it that? Why wasn't the album you know called I don't know Sky Ripped Open or something like that? Even seed, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I mean, it could I mean, be anything. I mean. There's a treasure trove of poetic phrases. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. God, I just, these lyrics to me just, it's a, it's, they're 
very different than anything we've heard before. Like I said before, but you know, the, uh, just everything, the rattle and hum, but you know, Jacob Russell, the angel and the angels overcome. So that to me is just, you know, a lot of the biblical references I don't get. Um, but he's also a lot with a lot of them. He's very kind of broad with it. Like you got to figure it out. Yeah. This is, very this specific. is my kind of biblical story. That's, <laughs> that's a story that I, even I know. I'm Jewish. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that's from the first part. <laughs> part one. And I get the first part. I don't get... The first book. I don't get uh, side B so much. <laughs> yeah, right. Of the Bible. <laughs> you got side A of the Bible. <laughs> I understand. Oh, it's <laughs> All the hits are on side A anyway. Right. That's how I see it. I mean, you want to listen to side B, but... Get the full story. Right. But side A is... I mean, it's a happy ending. (laughs) Is what's happening. Then there's also... I mean, there's there's also the preacher in here, too. Yeah. I've always liked slapping down those dollar bills. I've... I know that can go with Reagan and the money but for some reason with that i've always gone to like the televangelist preacher oh yeah obviously and there's something else i don't have the whole quote here but there's something else in that niall stokes this is in the u2 songs and experience book that he wrote i think it's printed by hot press about how america and the white evangelical preacher and is he speaking to the southern black man because no no. It's the American paradox of America. <laughs> right. Right. I love the just so much about the song, but I love the um the drama of the song. You know? It it really so is drama. I mean you he sings the song as a a different character. Which I mean he has a ton of songs he does that with now, but I don't yeah. think he this is the first one. He could be a different character. He could act yeah, out, out the not song. like him escaping into some version of himself. Right. And again, now we... completely different. We have... He has a ton of songs like that now. Yeah. That he can do that with. But this was the first time I felt like, looking back, I feel like he, he had a character. This was... some good hindsight there, yeah. Yeah. And when, when he's on stage with this song, he's gone. Gone. There's, yeah. Anyway, I and love there aren't it. Many, there aren't many songs where he's completely gone. No. There are a few. There are a few. Um, it's another one on this album. We'll get to it on side B. Oh, that's a big one. Yes. That's a big one. Big, big one. The next song is... The last song on side A, right? Last song on side A, track yeah. five, which is Running to Standstill, which is uh, one of my favorite songs. I was really happy to pay so much attention to this song because when you were talking about how beautiful his voice and controlled his voice was in with or without you i have notes about that in this song mm-hmm. it's been played uh 400 times oh sadly. wow i've heard it eight which is interesting because I, i've heard it five saw... times which is two more times than i expected so i went I think I went to five Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree. Third I went to three. Shows. Yeah. Then I went to five and 
I know the first time I heard it was at, at my first show at the Zoo TV show. So I'm kind of curious to know when were those other two times I heard it. I don't know, and I don't really feel like looking it up, but... I had it. Let me look real quick. Okay, I got it. Okay. So I was right. The first time I heard it was the first show I saw for Zoo TV in Hampton. And then I saw it, I heard it at the Vertigo. So the other two times were Vertigo, the first leg of Vertigo. One in Chicago, one in Boston, and then all the other ones were. And I have a Boston and a Philly. And the rest was the JT30. Yeah. It's interesting. So we talked a lot about on the Unforgettable Fire app about both bad, the songs bad and and wire are about the heroin epidemic in Dublin. And they're very, such emotional songs. Wire is so incredibly angry. And bad is such a like pleading cry for help. And running to stand still is really just like a picture in time. And apparently it got some criticism or maybe criticism is the wrong word because there's no moral compass in the song. Not saying it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's just accepting. Right. It's non-judgmental. I mean, it's beautiful in that way. It's really beautiful. So, such a beautiful song. I um, so I have kind of a funny thing. Okay, I want to um, hear it. This is just one of those little things of this is what the inside of my head looks like. So I wanna maybe not everyone will appreciate yeah. it, but okay. So the beginning of this song to me before there are even lyrics, mm-hmm. I have this whole thing in my head it sounds like the soundtrack to an old western there's like a cowboy walking through the empty streets of a ghost town with tumbleweeds rolling in <laughs> and he's like remembering that this town was once his home and he sits on an old barrel outside of the former saloon <laughs> yeah and starts playing a sad tune on his harmonica and you would think that the cowboy in my head would be, you know, Clint Eastwood or John Wayne. But for some reason, it's little Carl from the first season of The Walking Dead. <laughs> Carl. 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 <laughs> I'm not sure if that's really what was going on in my head or if I wanted us to have that. Carl. <laughs> I don't know. No, really, that's what I see in my head. It's got this like ghost town twang or something. The other thing is Bonham's voice in this song, he has such a Jim Morrison quality. Like that's what I hear. That's what I heard when I remember, you know, early here, you know, early on listening to the album, but I hear it so much now that he uh he has this, um, I think it's like when he sings the first part that's singing ha a la la today, it's, yeah. uh, it's just that he has this like rumble or something in his voice I that's very that. Jim Morrison. I can see that. Yeah. I like uh, it. It starts off as, it's just like this beautiful ballad with the piano and the rolling drums, hence yeah. the tumbleweeds. Yeah. <laughs> the Carl is now in this song for me. 
Yeah. And it builds and builds and builds. But there's this moment in it that just has forever blown my mind. Because Gabbana has gotten to his a point with the control of his voice and the quality of his voice that he could really belt something out and have a moment here. But the lines, you got to cry without weeping, talk without speaking, scream without raising your voice. Like that could be a moment, a really big vocal moment. Right. But he literally screams without raising his voice. Mm-hmm. Literally. That's a quiet and beautiful moment. I have I have this written down, and for all I know, I'm quoting something someone wrote, so I'm not going to pretend it's my own. It says, unlike other songs of this subject, this song isn't about anyone specific. It's tender and compassionate and absolutely no judgment. The music was, was improvised in the beginning with um, Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed and Candle in the Wind by Elton John in mind. And the lyrics are just gorgeous. Do you want to talk about the... Seven Towers. Yeah, I, I do. I'll talk about that for a second, and then I have a lot more to say about okay, the lyrics, yeah. but vocals, pretty much. But um, yeah. Still, as the story goes, Dublin in the seventies, like most cities, they had some uh, basically gentrification issues in their urban uh, areas. So. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of kicked out people that had been living there for a long time and the property values were low and then they revitalized stuff in the property. And they, this has happened many times because, you know, the Dublin that we see now is not the Dublin from that I saw in 1996, 1997. Oh, not at all, yeah. Yeah, so it basically, and Obano said that it took, it took Ireland a really long time to realize that what didn't work for other countries was not going to work for them either because the U.S. had long before built uh, public housing in these, you know, giant buildings, like how, where good times takes place. Right. Like that kind of, and uh, it doesn't work because when you put so many people with social issues like unemployment and drugs, like, and high crime rate on top of each other, it just makes the issues greater. And on top of that, they didn't have very many public amenities. So these buildings were built, the seven towers, except actually there were more than seven, but there were seven big towers and then there were some other yeah. smaller ones, but whatever. And he could like, see these from his neighborhood. Like they were yeah. his calm beautiful neighborhood he was growing up in they like rose up yeah he could see him from his uh back back door but you know it just i dublin had you know a heroin problem to begin with and this right. just made it a convenient place you know like a one-stop shop kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, bono said that they were just it was really bad they're probably they were really very fancy at first they were like the first right. elevators in the area they had yeah, the, the first was, cable it... in Ireland were in those yeah. cable but nothing TVs. was nothing was kept up. So things right. would break through. And there wasn't uh, public schools weren't they didn't have great schools. They they were oh. over um they were just everything was overpopulated and they didn't have very good, you know, 
public amenities or anything. The other thing is that, and this song isn't about specifically Phil Linnett from uh, Thin Lizzy, but I, I think that's definitely something to talk about. They kind of made it big before U2, so he was kind of a, right. a bit of a Irish legend, I guess, at the time. And he was friends with Bono. And apparently... At some point, right after uh, Bono and Ali got married, Phil lived down the street from him, and Bono said that they'd see each other and like, "You mm-hmm. come up for dinner, or come down for dinner, or something." Yeah. And they never did it, and uh, Phil ended up uh, dying from complications of heroin use. Right. It's a tragic story, but you should Google this if you want more information because it's actually I really enjoy reading about Phil Lennon. He has a really interesting story, but anyway. So that's, you know, the tie-in with the heroin. And it's not like that's disguised in this song. Like, it's, right. you know, flat out. It's, it's openly about out. drug use. It's... Yeah, she will suffer the needles chill. That the, the title of the song is the last lyric of the song. And that's I love just... That. I love that. There, It's something, like... What I read about it was like there's something like a, it's like delayed gratification. Like you listen to the whole song and then you get to the end and you're like, oh, I get it, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it all ties in. That full I circle. Love that. I yeah. love that. I love songs that either don't have the title at all or that you know it's just at the end um, or like just like a little lyric as opposed to the main. Chorus, chorus, yeah. So, this is poetry again. Obviously, not a sketch, but a very thought out composition. But he he has like Bono has the the build up and the rage that builds up in his voice. I just I I love it and seeing it live. Like the thing is that I I remember almost like the thrill of the thrill of the hit, right? I. I had this kind of moral uh, <laughs> debate in my head every time I heard this song was that I so wanted to sing along, but yeah. I felt like if I sang along, I wouldn't get the full impact of the song. Like I needed yeah. him to, I didn't tell, need to share the story. it. It's story time. Right. I needed it story to be hour. presented to me. I didn't need to share the lyrics, right. but I think I did. I think there was one point that I did, but I really, every single time I heard it, I, for Joshua Tree, the anniversary tour, I really, really did think, should I sing, should I sing along or should I just, yeah. no, just enjoy it, you know, but it's a fun song to sing along to. So, it's, you know, yeah. the lyrics are just so great. But, I mean, singing uh, along to that, the hot lot of the day is just like, I know. a communal again. Yes, definitely. Um, so another thing about definitely is uh, is a topic we need to discuss for this song is the harmonica. So I, I love the harmonica. And Edge said, and this I didn't know, but that from the very, very beginning of U2, Bono always carried around a harmonica. Really? And he, yeah, and that he <laughs> would play it just to like, you know, to try to get harmonies together and stuff. He always, this was the first time he played the harmonica, but every album that they'd done, he had 
had a harmonica laying around. Um, Interesting. But but so uh, and it's he's a really really good harmonica player. He says he's not, but I think that's says he murders it. But I think he needs to give himself more credit. I think that's his uh, Bubby thing where he's like, it's too salty, too salty. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, no, no, Bubby, it's delicious. I'm really bad. Just don't pay attention to me. Right, right. I think also I I've had this theory before that it is a lead singer thing where it's like you know I had a friend that was in a cover band and he'd come off stage and he was like wow I suck tonight and everyone's like you know no you didn't and he's like oh <laughs> you think so uh, you know? <laughs> and I'm like uh, I wasn't playing that game so I'm like well if you think you sucked then you must have sucked must've I'm sucked. not playing into that. But that said, I do think it's more of a, I am kinder about Bono's, he's not doing that. He's just being. We'll let him know when it sucks. Yeah, I've never heard, I mean, his. He has plenty of opinions. (laughs) Yeah, his, right? His, uh, I think he's an extraordinary harmonica player. Yeah. More so on side B, but we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. I find it's every single time he gets out the harmonica. I'm like, wait, you can do that? It surprises me every time how good he sounds. And and he gives that speech that, you know, the harmonica was invented by the Germans. Germans. And it was um, made famous by Americans. Americans. And now... An Irishman is butchering the yeah, harmonica. murdered by the Irish. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, no. <laughs> That's so, not true. It's not. He's doing a good job. I think he's like, I feel like he's giving himself an out in case he messes up. <laughs> right? Maybe but you're he right. sounds great. It always sounds great with it. It's, always sounds great. Yeah, and so, I mean, I've heard people play harmonica before, and they're just like, blowing into it or something right. and it's not they're not really but i think it's easy to like get away without to use a harmonica without playing it properly because people yeah. just hear the harmonica but he really plays harmonica like that's for real that's legit right there i'm gonna just give him a little pat on the back it's, it's okay little buddy you go yeah. play the harmonica you got it but, it is, but you're right it every time he takes it out i'm kind of surprised like it's yeah. a but what uh, so what other songs does he play harmonica on though? I mean, aside from this album, besides "Chip Through Your Wires" and "Side B," I can't think off the top of my head that there's another one. I can't either, but I re- I know I've seen him many many times play harmonica. It's late and my brain's tired. Oh, desire. Give it. Oh, desire. You're right. Yes, of course. I've re- I've seen him played a million times. A thousand million can- times. Yeah. But I've only, I've never heard these songs played many times, but desire, right. it's desire. There you go. Good call. Yeah. Good talk. I was like, we know he can play harmonica. We've seen it. But it's got to be more than the, the five, Joshua the Tree 11 time. times I've heard. Um, no. Right. So I have another Niall Stokes thing uh-huh. that is food for thought for later and later up. I have not wrapped my brain around this information and I don't, so I don't understand if I will agree with it or not. But he says, and I'm going to quote, 
about running to stand still and its lack of moral certainty and its refusal to judge its subject harshly, it looks ahead to the chaotic landscapes of Octum Baby and Zeropa, in which the only certainty is uncertainty itself. Interesting. Because I don't consider this song tied to those albums at all. Not at all. Yeah. He says that made it one of the band's most mature creations to date, a haunting, challenging piece of pop poetry that still resonates with lyrical truth. We should just read from his book because it's just beautiful. Right? <laughs> it is beautiful. There is, and I and always... I look forward to getting the Octon Baby and Zeropa in revisiting. Right. Oh, very much so. That... Yeah. They don't have a trilogy. It's just... Um... No, they do have a trilogy. And a trilogy. I'm sorry. And I... I said this the other night, uh, I was at Circa, and I'm like, well, they don't have a trilogy. And then my friend Kip was like, but what about pop? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, how, how I left that entirely out of my timeline. I don't even know but how I, I think did at that. one point you thought pipe, pop might be on its own, and I don't think so. I don't think so. I did. You're right. But when, yeah. when Kip said that, except though I totally skipped it over. I said um, that Octane Baby Zeropa. Right. The groupings yeah. were Octane Baby Zeropa and then. Um, all that you can't leave behind and how to smell an atomic bomb. And Kip was like, but what about pop? It's in the, yeah, it's in the Octum baby Zuropa trilogy. And I'm like, Holy crap, man. I, oh, of all the people. I, did, <laughs> I know. Right. Thanks Kip. Oh my gosh. We um, made it through side a side a. And what a great way to end a side a like it. Side a is just a hundred percent perfection i have nothing bad to say about i mean i barely have anything bad to say about anything on the album but definitely side a is the strong side yeah and to end on that she's running to stand still and just like that little outro with the harmonica right and then you gotta flip the tape yeah the title i didn't even talk i didn't put a note in about that but bono said he got the title from his brother oh really yeah he said he he asked his brother how uh, his business was going whatever business and he said uh it's not great it kind of feels like i'm running a standstill so his brother came up with the title but i i have a thing where i i say it every single time i go on a trip on a big trip like i say yeah. it every time it's like i go to work and i have to go to work but while i'm at work all i can think about is what i need to be doing when i'm not at work so it's right. like i'm sitting here like there's so many other things i need to be doing now instead of being at work and i feel like i'm running to stand still like my brain is running so fast that but i'm standing still which when you really think about that think about you know heroin use you're constantly wondering where you're next yeah but i mean like you're you know you're like whatever your your body is on the inside just moving so running right and you're not necessarily you know moving moving (laughs) yeah Um, the outside i mean i think that i mean i don't know many heroin users i don't 
really know any currently. I yeah. Um currently, which is sounds awful, but I don't think I do, but that's what the impression I get from you're not going anywhere, but you're running. Right. Right. It's so true. Yeah. Anyway, I use that. I use that. Uh, I said it. I felt I think I said it like last week one day talking about this podcast, too. <laughs> like I was sitting at work and I'm like, oh, my God, I really need to be working on the podcast. But I'm like at work and I have to be working on work. Right. And I just felt like my mind was racing on what I needed to do when I got home, what I needed to read and what I needed to listen to. Yeah. And I was running That's to stand like still. the low grade systemic stress that our lives nowadays have is that we are constantly, we're not in the moment. We're constantly worried about what's coming next. Right. And where are we no, going to so right How long it's going to take and this, this and that, like we're, they talk about it a lot in motherhood because you're worried about you're so worried about the rest of your household schedule and where the kids need to be and what the, 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 the. but it goes for everyone like that's where I first heard about that right. the low grade systemic stress of worrying about what's next and that's really that you're right that really is everything it's I know possible. this sounds it is but I know this sounds stupid but you know, I love binge watching and yeah. I swear I spend half my time binge watching thinking about what my next binge watch <laughs> is going to be. Like I always say if I come out and I don't have a plan after, you know, if I finish one series and I don't have a plan, like I, I forgot my exit strategy. What do I do now? And what I do then is I watch Friends because I don't know what else to do. You know. You're right, though. That is uh, that is our society today. And then we don't do anything well. No, and you don't live in the moment. Yeah. And, I mean, think about that at, at concerts. And, I mean, I really try hard not to do this so much, but people sit there with their phones up the entire show, and they're not actually watching the show. They're looking at it through their phone so right. that they can then watch it later. I try to be very conscious if there's a moment that I want to take a video or picture of that I just hope I'm holding the phone in the right place to actually capture it. So I'm not looking. I'm still seeing it with my eyes. Right. And that's really a big thing that I, uh, the other (laughs) reason why I have almost no pictures of ever of Bono face forward. (laughs) He's always sideways or, you know, just because. If he's looking in my direction, I don't want to see that through the phone. I want that. I want I to live one, I have one picture of him that I have framed in my office. I had posted this series of pictures of him from the E&I tour on Instagram. It was like three or four, like right in a row that looked kind of cool together. And someone commented like, oh, my God, he's looking right at you. I was like, no, like, no, it was just you know, in the vicinity, whatever. And she's like, no, go back and look. And I went and scrolled through, like, the third picture is like, oh, shit. Right? <laughs> like, I was too busy taking the pictures. <laughs> to realize, yeah. I, I, what I did was the last, I think the last two shows I saw of E&I before uh, Dublin, and I think it only worked at, it would only work at the East stage, but I had my f- phone vi- 
video like recording and I held it at the rail so I'm not I just held it against the rail just like so it wasn't obstructing my view it wasn't blatantly obvious that I it wasn't obstructing anyone else's view I'm like man I wish I had thought about and I have some good pictures I wish I thought about that yeah you know before but I I didn't okay stay tuned for side b yeah, thanks for listening. We'll maybe in a week or so come up with side B. We'll have some more questions for Bono over Whiskey and Kate. And you need to think of the Lounge Act song. I do. This album. Yeah. And hashtag Sting, which I have. Hashtag Sting. Side yeah. B. Very much right. so. For sure. It, hashtag Bruce made it to this one. We'll get hashtag Sting on side B. For it's sure. It's a major hashtag Sting, too. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Also, we love hearing from people and chatting with people, and of course, we love talking you too. So you can drop us a line on Instagram or Twitter at the underscore garden tarts, or you can even email us at wearethegardentarts at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you soon. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you would share it with your other YouTube-loving friends, as well as leave a review for us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. We would really, really love that. May your music be loud and your whiskey be strong. Until next time, cheers.